Thank you for listening to this teaching from Kingdom Discipleship. In Galatians chapter 6, the Apostle Paul exhorted us to, quote, carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. Do you have a lifestyle of helping others with their difficulties, their trials, and their burdens? Never are we more like Jesus than when we make an effort to serve others in this way. Let's open our Bible now to Galatians chapter 6 and look at this incredible opportunity we have to be like Jesus as we carry one another's burdens. Well, good morning and welcome to another teaching. It is a Wednesday morning here in Texas and uh, hopefully y'all loving on Jesus, spending time with Jesus, growing to know Jesus, giving your life increasingly more and more, moment by moment, day by day to Jesus Christ our Lord. It's the meaning of life. It's, it's what the central teaching of the Bible is that we be more and more conformed to Jesus Christ, right? Romans 8, 29, that we be conformed to the image of his son. And so the more time we spend with Jesus, the more time we spend in prayer, the more time we spend in community and fellowship, being together with other brothers and sisters in Christ, encouraging one another to, to walk with Christ and to be like Christ in every aspect of our lives. Um, the more time we spend in praise and worship and, and, and above all, spending time in the scriptures, right? Spending time in the living word of God. Um, you know, uh, the more we'll get to know Jesus, the greater our heart will be for him and the more and more we'll want to be like him. Um, and again, that ought to be the greatest desire of our lives. The more we understand how much Jesus has really done for us, the more we understand how big the price for our sin really was. Our sin was so horrible, so evil, so horrid that our God, God the Son Jesus, had to become a human man and live a perfect life that we couldn't live on our behalf and then die a torturous death on our behalf that we should have died and then was raised from the dead. All that had to happen because we are desperate and hopeless sinners. And the more we understand that, the more our response to that should increasingly be that we love Jesus and want to be like him. So thank you, Lord Jesus. All right, we're in Galatians 6. Lord willing, we should have two teachings left to finish the book of Galatians. Today, we're, uh, Lord willing, we're going to do verses 1 to 10. And then uh, next time, we'll, Lord willing, do 11 to 18. Father, we do thank you for your word. We thank you for this incredible book of Galatians. Father, we thank you for our Bible. We thank you that we have this living word of God, the Holy Scriptures, to feed us and nourish us, Father. But above all, we thank you for Jesus, Father, our only Lord and Savior and Master and King. Lord Jesus, we thank you for becoming a human man for us, for living a perfect life for us, for dying a perfect death for us. And we thank you that you are alive and risen and we worship you today. Holy Spirit, we ask you to lead us and guide us now as we open your word. We ask you to give us eyes that see and ears that hear and hearts that understand. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. All right. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Okay. Galatians chapter six, verses one to 10. 
Paul speaking, brothers, if someone is caught in a sin, you who are spiritual should restore him gently. But watch yourself, or you also may be tempted. Carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. If anyone thinks he is something, when he is nothing, he deceives himself. Each one should test his own actions, then he can take pride in himself without comparing himself to somebody else, for each one should carry his own load. Anyone who receives instruction in the word must share all good things with his instructor. Do not be, do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. The one who sows to please his sinful nature, from that nature will reap destruction. The one who sows to please the Spirit, from the Spirit will reap eternal life. Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Um, thank you, Lord Jesus. All right, it's the concluding chapter, and Paul is giving, you know, instructions on, on, on just how to handle lifestyle circumstances, how to handle just different situations that come up in, in our Christian lives. Um, and, you know, and so he says, brothers, if someone is caught in a sin, you who are spiritual should restore him gently. But watch yourself, or you also may be tempted. And so this is speaking about, this is not speaking about a believer that's living in consistent, disobedient, immoral sin as a lifestyle. This is not what he's speaking about here, okay? This is speaking about someone who kind of gets caught up in a sin or someone who, who wasn't planning on it, but, you know, they made some mistakes and now they're, you know, now they're beat down, they're sad, they're grieved, um, you know, and they, they have been living a sinful lifestyle, but they have a grief about it. They have a conviction about it. They got caught up in it and, you know, and then they want to be restored. They want to repent. Okay. Um, as believers in Jesus Christ, all of us fail. None of us are perfect, but when we make mistakes and we make them daily, we ought to be grieved about it. The spirit of God that lives in us right, is grieved when we live in an ungodly way. And that grief, the more intimate we are with Christ, the more we'll, we'll experience that. So when you're reading your Bible or, or, you know, when you're out in your life today, um, you know, when you behave in a way or think in a way or talk in a way that you know is, is contrary to the teaching in the Bible, it's sinful, there, there ought to be a conviction in you. You ought to be convicted in desire to, you know, to not live in that way, right? Our desire ought to, to be to live in a Christ-like, Christ-centered, biblical manner, right? Now, none of us do that perfectly. And so Paul says, if someone is caught in a sin or they get caught up in it, or, you know, you have brothers or sisters in Christ and, you know, they've, you know, whatever the sin is, whatever the mistakes they've made, it says, you who are spiritual should restore him gently. Now, this word spiritual here is a word that means you who are spiritually mature in your walk with Christ, okay? So this work of restoring a believer that's that's fallen into, you know, a sinful pattern or a sinful 
a sinful pattern of behavior. And again, it could be in in various ways, right? Um, you know, it can be someone that's just been consistently walking in, you know, excessive, unchecked pride or, you know, or anger or bitterness um, or just, you know, that's that's just been, you know, that's just been loose, you know, in the way they're speaking. Um, it could be someone that's fallen into lust or pornography or whatever it is. But the the individual, you know, they know that it's against the word of God. They know it's sinful behavior. And again, they, they want to they want to get well. I want to be careful because we're not talking about just just common daily shortcomings or mistakes that all of us make as believers. Okay. This is someone now who's caught in a lifestyle of, of sin and he's caught up in it or she's caught up in it and, and they want to be restored, right? They want to be free from whatever this, this habit, this sinful habit has become. Okay. Um, maybe they're using money in inappropriate ways, right? Um, whatever it is. Okay. So, it's not about, again, someone who throughout, you know, this day, you know, you're you're in a conversation and then all of a sudden, man, you, you lose your temper. You say something you shouldn't have said. And, and then you immediately ask for forgiveness to the person you're talking about and you go before the Lord. Um, that's not what this is speaking about. OK, this is someone, again, who was caught up in some kind of, of sinful lifestyle, but they're grieved about it. They're convicted about it. They're they're desiring to repent. They want to be restored to a, a lifestyle of walking with Jesus and not in whatever this sinful behavior is. And it says, you who are spiritual should restore you know, him or her gently. Okay. And he says, but watch yourself or you also may be tempted. So uh, a spiritually mature brother or sister in Christ, it's our job to come alongside brothers or sisters that that have fallen into a lifestyle of sin, that have gotten gotten caught up in some lifestyle of sin, and into 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 without condemnation, right? Without being superior, um, you know, without being overbearing. But you know, we we need to restore them. But it needs to be in a spirit of gentleness, okay? And Paul says, "But watch yourself, or you also may be tempted." So, you know, when we are restoring this brother or sister in Christ, or or whoever it is. We have to guard ourselves, okay? Because all of us, right, are tempted. All of us can be tempted. And so when we're restoring people that are in some kind of deliberate sinful behavior that they're trying to get out of, Paul says, but watch yourself or you also may be tempted, okay? So again, when dealing with sinful behavior in people's lives, it opens us up to possible temptation, you know, whatever it is, and so we need to, you know, we need to be careful with that, right? Um, if if a man is is working with another man who's struggling with pornography, okay, he obviously needs to watch himself while he's restoring this brother that he himself doesn't get caught up in pornography. Does that make sense? Um, you know, or, or whatever it is, right? Um, so verse two, Paul says, carry each other's burdens, and in this way. You will fulfill the law of Christ. You remember the Galatians were coming in and, and saying that Jesus alone, believing and trusting in Christ alone, was insufficient for salvation. Uh, these these uh, Galatian teachers were coming in, these Judaizers, these Jewish claim, these, these, these proposed teachers, right, uh, were coming in and saying, yes, you need to believe in Christ and trust in Christ, but you also need to be circumcised 
and come under the law of Moses and follow all the commandments and follow all the dietary laws. And Christ wasn't enough. Jesus wasn't enough. Paul vehemently opposed them um, and said that we can add nothing to our salvation. Okay, We're saved from our sin and we go to heaven when we die completely, totally, and only by completely receiving Jesus and trusting in him alone for the forgiveness of our sins and the salvation of our soul. It's not Jesus in our good life. It's not Jesus in us doing anything. It's, it's humbling ourselves, acknowledging our, our complete hopelessness, helplessness, and desperation, and that without Jesus, only hell awaits. And from that place, in humility, we receive Christ. We simply receive him. We trust him. We rely on him. We believe in him as the son of God and that he came into this world and lived a perfect life, even for us, and died a perfect death for us and was raised from the dead, right? John 1.12 says that to all who received him, Jesus, to those that believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. When you genuinely receive Christ as your savior, all of your sin, past, present, and future, is credited to Jesus at the cross. Jesus takes it at the cross. And the actual perfect righteous life that he lived when he walked the earth is credited to you as if you lived it. It's incredible, right? That exchange, right, Peyton, is the heart of the Christian gospel, right? All of my sin, Nathan, past, present, and future, for the perfect righteous life of Christ. It's a pretty good swap, right, Scott? And so... Paul says, carry each other's burdens, and in this way you fulfill the law of Christ. Again, they were focusing on trying to be made right with God by following the law of Moses. But Paul says, carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. It's an incredible statement. Do you have a lifestyle, Chris, of carrying the burdens and help carrying the burdens and the grief and the trouble and the hardship and the difficulty and the struggles with sin of your brothers and sisters in Christ. Examine yourself. You know, are, are you consistently availing yourself to carry other people's burdens, to help other people who are struggling in different aspects of their lives, who are struggling with fear and unbelief, who are struggling with some kind of, of sin in their life and they're trying to get out of it. Do you come behind them and, and kind of lift them up, right? And help them along to carry that burden. Because Paul says, carry each other's burdens. And in this way, when you do this, you will fulfill the law of Christ. It was Jesus who took a burden from us that we could not ever pay, a burden, a debt of sin. We, Every human being has a sin debt to God, a burden of sin that we cannot bear. And if we leave this life without receiving Jesus Christ, we'll spend eternity in hell paying for that debt ourselves. We are burdened with sin in, in a way we cannot escape. And Jesus came into this world and took that burden from us, lived a perfect life, and then went to the cross with that perfect life and died a perfect death, taking the sin debt of the entire world. And it, that's, that's given as a gift to all who would receive him, right? You see that? Does that make sense? You see that, Esther? 
Again, John 1, 12, to all who received him, Jesus, to those who believed in his name, Jesus, he gave the right to become children of God. So, you know, begin to have a lifestyle of more and more helping your brothers and sisters in Christ in their difficulties. Um, it ought to be an active part of your life. I mean, and it, and I mean, and it just, the more you're involved in it, the more it comes. Uh, last night I had a, a sister in the Lord and, you know, her and her husband were having some troubles and, and she called me and she was sad and, uh, you know, and I was encouraging her, you know, and trying to help her with that burden and encourage her and, you know, and, and, you know, she, she's obviously playing a part in the issue in the marriage and encouraging her to do her part. And then I spoke to her husband and, um, you know, he was grieved and he was upset and he was hurt and, and we spoke and then, you know, he called me back another time and we walked through that together and we're still walking through it. We're talking about it again today. And so we ought to have a lifestyle of serving one another and carrying each other's burdens and struggles and difficulties, right? Look at verse three. So as you're doing this, Paul says, verse three, if anyone thinks he is something, when he is nothing, he deceives himself. Now, this is a profound verse because, you know, Paul wants us to check ourselves because sometimes, you know, when we're, you know, when we're, when, when other people are caught up into sin, we can, we can get this attitude like, like we're really good. Like, you know, we're not sinful or like, you know, well, I didn't, I didn't do all that bad stuff. You know, I didn't go out and commit adultery. You know, I didn't, I'm not looking at pornography. I'm not walking around angry and bitter and yelling and cussing at everybody. And I'm not doing these things. And, and we can kind of get a, a haughty and arrogant attitude and, and think we're kind of something and think we're, you know, we're above all that. We're not, okay? Not one of us, okay? All the Christians in the world, all of us, Paul calls us nothing, okay? Verse three, if anyone thinks he is something, thinks he's special and he's different, when he is nothing, right? We are in fact nothing. We are sinful human beings, every one of us who desperately need salvation in Jesus Christ alone, in Jesus Christ alone. If anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself, okay? It's one thing to be deceived. It's another thing to be self-deceived. And that one of the biggest ways to be self-deceived is to think that you're a special, you know, just, you know, more holy and more perfect and a more loved Christian by God, okay? That's wonderful. You and I ought to be walking in a, in a more mature, you know, way with Christ. We, we ought to be walking in a less sinful way, but it's important we don't start taking pride in that and seeing ourselves as better, okay? Certainly the behavior is better, but we ourselves are not better, okay? If anyone thinks he's something when he's nothing, he deceives himself. So when you look inside of yourself, and if you can see a pride, right, or an arrogance or a conceit, and, and all of us have some of this, okay? Don't think we're above this or we don't struggle with this. You do, okay? Again, I, I, I you know, I'm consistently you know, seemingly dealing with people who somehow believe they don't struggle, right, Tom, with certain aspects of biblical things, or they think they've, they've been perfected in it or something. Um, you know, all of us struggle. Now, depending on where we are in our walk with Christ, where we are in our maturity with Christ, right, um, we're, we're all at different places. But all of us, okay, have elements, if you look deep into yourself, 
where we kind of think that we're special or we're something. And again, for some of us, it's a huge problem. For some of us, it, it's it's a lesser problem. But then, you know, we could look at a different aspect of our lives. And, you know, I'm an impatient man, right? And it's something that's sinful and I need to, I need to consistently do a better job in it. Um, and there are many, many, many Christian leaders that are far more patient than I am. But then there are other aspects of their character where I'm more mature and they're less. The point is, we don't we don't start thinking we're we're great, right? If anyone thinks he's something when he's nothing, we 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 really do have to understand who we are in Christ, which is we're children of God, and that's that's beautiful. But we also underst- have to understand who we're not. We're not Christ. We're not God, right? We are a sinful people in desperate need of a savior. Okay. And so there's a balance, okay? You don't just walk around your, your whole life, you know, right, Alicia, saying, oh, I'm just a terrible, beat down, worthless sinner. Okay, no, you don't do that because Jesus gave his life for you. But at the same time, you don't walk around with a haughty attitude, unrealistic to your own condition. So again, there ought to be a, a balance in rejoicing in who you are in Christ, but still understanding your desperate need of him, right? And there ought to be a humility in that. And this is the way we do that. Look at verse four. Paul said, each one, verse four, each one should test his own actions. Then he can take pride in himself without comparing himself to somebody else. Verse five, for each one should carry his own load. So what does Paul mean by this? Each one should test his own actions. Then he can take pride in himself without comparing himself to somebody else. So again, we just talked about how when we see other people and they're not walking with Christ in the way we are, or they're, they're not you know, as zealous for Christ as we are, or they have some sin in their life that we don't have, you know, we could fall into this habit of comparing ourselves and think we're superior. Paul says, no, each one should test his own actions. Then he can take a healthy pride in himself without comparing himself to someone else. Do you have a lifestyle, Chloe, of testing your own actions? Do you have a lifestyle of practicing introspection? Do you have a lifestyle of looking at your walk, Tommy, and just seeing, you know, you know, how is my walk with Christ? Rap, do you take time to test your own actions, to examine your walk with Christ in, in all its different aspects, right? Examine your walk, Rap, and say, okay, you know, how am I doing in my walk with Christ? And be specific. How is my time in the scriptures. How am I doing in that? And do a realistic examination. How am I doing in my in, in carrying others' burdens and lifting other people up? My brother Rap does that very, very well. How am I doing in evangelism? How am I doing in getting the gospel out? Do I make an effort to get the gospel of Jesus Christ out into the world on a daily basis, right? At King, you can go to the website, kingdomd.org. We have Bible tracks there. You can print them. They're all free. And, you know, when you get the gospel out, you can hand it, you can hand these tracts to someone, you can leave it on a car windshield, you can leave it in a grocery store, you can leave it at Starbucks in the bathroom. There there are many ingenious ways to get tracts out, but when you print the gospel, and again, it's just a gospel message about that all of us are sinful and we need Christ, and it goes through that in these three, there are three different tracts, and they're they're translated in different languages, Um, and we wrote them here at the ministry. Um... But when you do that, right, you're getting the gospel out into the world where it would not have been, 
right? So examine yourself, test your actions, okay? Um, do you have a lifestyle of evangelism? Test yourself as a disciple. Are you a disciplined follower of Christ? Are you spending time with Christ, right? Um, are you growing to be like Christ? Each one should test his own actions. Are you, are you generous, right? Are you, are you giving into the kingdom of God? Are you giving tithes and offerings into the kingdom of God and the work of the gospel, right? Um, you know, are you, uh, you know, are you someone who's, who's continually and consistently looking to, to build up others in Christ? Each one should test his own actions. Then, Becky, he could take pride in himself. Meaning, when you look at that, it's okay to say, you know what, man, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm excited that I'm, that I'm, that I'm doing well in my walk with Jesus, say in evangelism, or I'm doing well in my giving. And man, I am, you know, I'm excited about that, and I take joy in that. Right? There's a, there's a healthy pride. Now, not a superiority or a conceit or an arrogance, right? But test your own actions and in the things you're doing well, that's fine, but it has nothing to do with anyone else. Don't feel good about yourself because you're doing more evangelism than the next guy. Does that make sense? Okay. Each one should test his own actions. So again, um, I have found that this is something that few Christians really ever practice. Right, Kristen? Just looking inside your own life and seeing, you know, how your actions line up with Jesus, how you're living for Christ in all the different aspects of your life, right? Um, each one should test his own actions, his own actions that he can take pride in himself without comparing himself to anyone else. Again, you should never feel better about yourself because you're doing better than others. And again, it's, it's, it's something when we look into our heart, it's something that we can fall into, right? In verse five, Paul says, for each one should carry his own load. You know, all of us as believers in Jesus Christ have a responsibility to bear. We all have a responsibility to do the work of Christ. We all have to do our part in advancing the kingdom of God, in evangelism. We all have to do our part in giving of our time, our talents, and our money into the kingdom of God. And when we're not doing our part, right, when we're leaving evangelism to someone else, when we leave discipleship to someone else, when we leave giving, to someone else, whether it's giving of our time, talents, or money. We ought to be giving to all of it. We're not doing our part. We're not carrying our own load. We're not bearing our own load, okay? We all, we all have a responsibility. Every single Christian has a responsibility to be working to advance the kingdom of God, the Son of God, and the gospel of God in every aspect of our life. And, and, and we should, you know, we should understand that when we're not doing our part as believers and we all are supposed to do our part in advancing the kingdom of God and the son of God with our time, talents and money, where other people are having to carry a bigger burden for us. OK, and it's important to understand that when we stand before Jesus Christ, every single one of us, Second Corinthians five, verse 10, will stand before the judgment seat of Christ. If you're a genuine believer in Jesus Christ. When you leave this life, you will stand before Jesus and he will judge you based on how you did live your life in the advancement of the kingdom of God, the son of God and the gospel of God. He's going to judge you for how you used your time, your talents and your money in the advancement of his kingdom. And according to how you 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 lived and gave yourself to those things and cooperated with the Holy Spirit, 
you'll be rewarded accordingly. Okay, now you don't you don't get to heaven by doing any of these things. You get to heaven, as we've said, by by only trusting in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and the salvation of your soul. But your reward in heaven, how you experience heaven, your position in heaven, the you know the the interaction and your level of intimacy with Jesus in heaven, uh, that will be fully dependent on how you you know you walked in this life and served Christ in this life, right? So. You know, it's not like, you, you know, people, you know, people, you know, fear that, okay, so I just trust in Jesus Christ. I go to heaven. Doesn't matter how I live. No, you go to heaven. Yes. By trusting in Christ alone and acknowledging your desperate need of him. Right. But there is a consequence for not living to Christ because we're going to stand before a judgment and receive a judgment and we're going to be rewarded accordingly. Okay. So everyone who receives Christ is going to heaven but no one's going to have the same reward in heaven. That will be dependent on how you cooperated with Jesus and the Holy Spirit and your heavenly Father throughout your life, again, in the advancement of the kingdom of God and the Son of God and the gospel of God. Now, those who have never received Christ, they'll go before what's called the great white throne judgment, Revelation chapter 20. Um, I believe it's verses 11 to 15. And... You know, this will be a different judgment. This is a judgment for non-believers. They, they will be judged on their works and on their deeds. And according to the level of, of, of evil they lived in, they will be assigned a place in hell. Okay? So not everyone has the same reward in heaven. And you only get to heaven by trusting and relying on Christ alone. And then when you get there, you know, your reward will be dependent on how you live for Christ. And no one will have the same reward. Everyone at the great white throne judgment is there because they have not received Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. They did not receive him for the forgiveness of their sins and the salvation of their soul. So they are now in hell and they're going to be assigned a place in hell according to the level of evil they lived in. Okay, so they're in hell because they have not trusted in Jesus Christ alone. You and I are in heaven because we have trusted in Jesus Christ alone. Their punishment in hell will now be dependent on how, how evil they live their life. Our reward in heaven will be dependent on how well we cooperated with Jesus in living our life for him, right? Using our time, talents, and money increasingly in the advancement of his kingdom. So hopefully that made sense and that brings a balance to the understanding of all this, okay? Verse six, anyone who receives instruction in the word must share all good things with his instructor. Seven, do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Um, I mean, this is, this is not ambiguous. Anyone who receives instruction in the word, and he's talking about the word of God, <clears throat> must share all good things with his instructor. So it's, it's speaking about that you know, you ought to have relationship, okay, with, with, with men and women of God who are instructing you, okay, in the Word of God, okay? You, now, certainly it's good to be instructed in the Word of God from a pulpit, and that's part of it. But you ought to have men of God in your life that are instructing you in the Word of God, you know, in relationship with you also, 
okay? And so you ought to be in relationship, okay, with your ministers, okay? They, they, yes, they ought to instruct you from the pulpit, but there also ought to be instruction in your daily life. They ought to be in your daily life. As I said yesterday, I was dealing with this couple and they're, they're, they're a strong part of our ministry, right? But I'm in their daily lives and I was giving instruction based on the word of God. And it says, anyone who receives instruction in the word must share all good things with his instructor. So when you receive the spiritual instruction in the word of God, you give materially or financially to the person or people or ministry that's doing that. Okay. Now, this is important. It says instruction in the word. You, you ought to be being instructed in the word of God. You don't want to be instructed in the opinions of man. Okay. You want to be in a ministry. You want to be in a church. You want to be in a fellowship. You want to be in a community that's consistently instructing you in the word of God. Okay. So whoever those people are in your lives that are consistently instructing you in the word of God, you ought to be giving financially to those people. Okay. It's not ambiguous. Now I'll say again, Make sure you're getting instruction in the word of God, okay? Um, just because you have a church or just because you have a ministry doesn't mean that instruction is coming from the word of God. Again, you don't want worldly instruction. You don't want man-centered instruction. You want Christ-centered Bible, the word of God, instruction from the scripture. And it's, it's our responsibility to support those people who are doing that work as their job, right? So again... Who are the people in your life that are instructing you in the word of God? Okay. You ought to be, you know, giving financially of your money, right? To help those people that do this for a living. And certainly people give the kingdom discipleship and it, and it pays my salary as I instruct them in the word of God. Anyone who receives instruction in the word must share all good things with his instructor. Verse seven, do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. So again, this is a heavy verse, but look what it says, okay? Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. So, you know, if you're receiving instruction in the word of God and you're generously giving, um, you know, uh, to the ministry. So you're, you're tithing, you know, and, and, you know, and you're giving offerings and you're, you're giving of your, of your finances. It says, don't be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. If you're sowing your money into, you know, these places where you're being instructed in the word of God, then God is not mocked. You'll reap what you sow. You're, you're sowing your blessings. You're sowing your finances and, you know, you're, you'll reap the blessings from God, right? But if you're someone who, you know, who does very little financial support and in and, and the instruction of the word of God, God isn't mocked, okay? A man reaps what he sows. Paul's saying there's a direct cause and effect to the giving, right? And he's talking about money here, but it applies to everything. It's a giving of our time, our talents, and our money. But Paul says, do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. God is fully aware of our hearts, right? Sometimes the hardest thing for many of us is the giving of our money, right? Many of us can give our time. Many of us will give our talents, but boy, we, we hold on to our money. You ought, to look at, you ought to look at how you use your finances. 
If 99% of all your finances are going to you and your life and your bills and your family and your retirement and your savings, then obviously the, the priority of your money is not right. Okay. There, there ought to be an increasing desire, right? To use your money more and more and for Jesus and the advancement of his kingdom, the advancement of the gospel and, you know, sharing with the needy people around the world. And, um, and again, we do all these, this work at Kingdom Discipleship and it's, and it's a pleasure. And the more you, you know, we have, we have people that give at Kingdom Discipleship and some guys, you know, and their wives are, you know, they're, they're giving more and more and they're up to, they're trying to get to, to be double tithers. Right. And, and they have a joy in it. Right. And, and the Lord provides in them. But again, there's no, you know, uh, they're not, there's no requirement to this, but they've learned that God isn't mocked. Right. And that we reap what we sow. Now, it's interesting because, you know, just because you give money, it's not a gumball machine, right? Sometimes the blessings will come to you in a spiritual manner. Sometimes you'll be, sometimes you'll give financially and you'll be blessed spiritually in a way you didn't, you didn't, you didn't, you know, you didn't know was coming. Sometimes it'll, you know, you'll have a blessing of having greater intimacy with Jesus. Sometimes you'll have revelation or understanding or insight from God. Sometimes you'll, you'll have a divine appointment and, you know, you'll be encouraged by someone. We don't know how the blessing comes, right? Verse eight, the one who sows to please his sinful nature. So just remember, he just said, God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. The one who sows to please his sinful nature from that nature will reap destruction. The one who sows to please the spirit from the spirit will reap eternal life. What does he mean? The one who sows to please his sinful nature. So again, if if, if you're not sowing into the kingdom of God and into the word of God and into your instructor, instructors in the word of God, and you, let's say you're just sowing into your sinful nature, right? You just continually are sowing seeds with your time, talents, and money into, into worldly, sinful, ungodly desires, looking for just the pleasures of this life. Um, you know, Paul says the one who sows to please his sinful nature. So again, um, things that are not of God, things that are sin, right? That that our nature of sin, we 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 desire these these pleasures, these lusts. If we sow into that, Paul says, from that nature, from your sinful nature, will reap destruction. And what that simply means is just when we live in an ungodly way, when we continue to sow our time, talents, and money into our selfish, self-serving, sinful desires, right? For the pleasures and lusts of the world and into our own pride and vanity, right? Only destruction comes of that, right? And, and it, comes, it comes everywhere, right? Um, where, wherever you turn, you see destruction, right? Just think of any sinful behavior, right? Think of, you know, all the sinful behaviors in the way of, um, of sexual impurity and all the things that come from that and all the, the diseases that come from that and, you know, the broken marriages and, and the unwanted children and, and the abortions that come from that. I mean, it's, it's destruction just comes from it when we sow consistently to please our sinful nature. You know, think about, you know, when, you know, when we're just, when just when we're, we're sowing to please our vanity and when we're selfish and when we continue to just store up things for ourselves, we can just see where destruction comes from sowing to please our sinful nature. It just, it just brings problems and destruction in our lives, right? Um, but Paul says, the one who sows to please the spirit from the spirit will reap eternal life. So on the contrary, 
if instead of having a lifestyle of always just looking to fulfill your own sinful desires and pleasures and gratifications and build your bank account instead of, you know, and again, it's fine to save money. That's a good thing. But like I said, you want to see, is there a balance in my life? Is, is every bit of money I have used for me and my interests and my life and my family and my wife and my girlfriend and my savings and nothing being used for, for others and the kingdom of God and the word of God, then, then obviously it just speaks for itself, right? Uh, you're sowing just for yourself. But Paul says the one who sows to please the spirit. So more and more you're using your time, your talents and your money as a lifestyle to not just serve yourself and your own selfish desires and pleasures, right? But the one who sows to please the spirit, the Holy Spirit who lives in you, the spirit of Jesus, right? And you're, you're using your time, talents and money. You're sowing, you're using them more and more for the interests of Christ and to be a blessing to Christ and to be a blessing to others. He says, the one who sows to please the spirit from the spirit will reap eternal life, okay? When he says eternal life, remember, eternal life is not just a quantity of life, right, Matt? It's a, a quality of life, okay? Um, you know, so the more we do this, Becky, the more we sow to please the spirit, verse eight, from the spirit will reap eternal life. And again, certainly we go to heaven based on what Christ done, but to reap eternal life is to have a better quality of eternal life in this life, right? We reap a deeper relationship, a deeper experience. We, we can touch heaven a little bit more and more even while we're on earth and there's really nothing better than that, right? Verse nine, let us not become weary in doing good for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. So sometimes when we're when we're sowing to please the spirit and when we're giving and we know that God isn't mocked and we're giving of our time, our talents, we're giving of our money, and sometimes it's hard, right? Because again, it's not a gumball machine. Sometimes the the the, the you know, the blessing doesn't come right away. Correct me if I'm wrong. When you plant a you know, like an orange seed or an apple seed, right? Or when you plant, you know, the different seeds that go in a garden, the the reward doesn't come immediately. You know, I'm not a farmer, you know, uh, but, you know, how long does it take, you know, when you, you know, when you plant vegetables or when you plant corn, right? Or when you plant wheat, I, I don't think you put the seed in the ground, water it, and the next day you harvest it, do you? No, doesn't, doesn't, isn't there a season that it goes through and it takes time for whatever it is, right? I know when I put a, an apple seed in the ground, I don't have a tree the next day. When you, when you go and sow corn, right? You don't have the corn stalks the next day. And so Paul says, let us not become weary in doing good, right, Pop? Because sometimes it's, it can just get weary when you're consistently trying to live for Christ and seemingly you're not seeing a harvest, right? Let us not become weary in doing good. For at the proper time, we will reap a harvest if we do not give up, right? So Paul can see that, that there are a lot of people that, are, that really are sowing. They're sowing in the spirit. They're using their time, talents, and money and the advancement of the kingdom of God, the word of God, the gospel of God. But sometimes we can, we can grow weary, right? And again, when there's brothers and sisters in our lives that are weary, we need to help carry those burdens. And if we're, we're, we're weary, we need to allow them to help carry our burdens. Right, Susan? 
Thank you, Lord Jesus. Let us not become weary, Landon, in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. So don't give up, y'all. Keep doing good. Keep living for Christ. Keep carrying one another's burdens, right? Keep watching yourself so that you're not tempted. You know, keep keeping yourself in check, not thinking that you're something you ought to be. Continue to test your own actions, right? Um, just, uh, you know, continue to give where you're being instructed in the word of God, you know, as, as a lifestyle, right? Where someone is involved in your life and they're instructing you. And again, hopefully these are pastors at churches, but it, you know, it can be anywhere, right? Um, you know, I mean, continue to, you know, to sow, to please the spirit of God. And it says, you know, not to become weary and doing good for at the proper time, we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. So, you know, we want to continue in this and the harvest. It's a promise in the Bible that the harvest, the blessing will come. Verse 10, therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people especially to those who belong to the family of believers. So you see that as Christians, we're all one family. And so Paul says here, therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people. There's opportunity every day in your life to do good to all people in the name of Jesus Christ. Okay. You ought to have a lifestyle of looking to be a blessing to everyone. Therefore, verse 10, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people especially to those who belong to the family of believers. So again, we ought to be look we ought to be looking to be a blessing to all human beings in the world with our time, our talents and our money, okay? We ought to be looking to be a blessing. That's what he says, right? We ought to be looking to do good, right? Um and to help everyone. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, but then he says especially to those who belong to the family of believers. There ought to be a greater place, an even special place for those who are your, your spiritual family, your brothers and sisters in Christ, right? You especially want to look for opportunities to do good, you know, to your brothers and sisters in Christ, but at the same time, you want to do good to all people. So is that your lifestyle today? Do you have a lifestyle, Lauren, of, you know, looking to do good to all people, but especially looking to be a blessing to, to those who are who are in Christ, who are your brothers and sisters in Christ. We're all family in Jesus. And, you know, you know, I've been blessed in my life that, you know, the more you walk with certain brothers and sisters in Christ, ultimately, you know, you become closer to your spiritual family than even perhaps your natural family. Now, I've been blessed in my life that, you know, my children and, and much of my family are, are saved. They're Christians. They're born again. So we're close as a natural family and we're close as a spiritual family, but we are a, a family of believers and we ought to love and care for one another as we are a family. And, and oftentimes in the church, we haven't done that well. And Father, I do ask you to forgive us and cleanse us where, where we haven't loved one another in the church as a family of believers. Father, help us to remember that we are a family and to love one another and to do good one another, to do good to one another as a family. Forgive us, Father, when we've acted with pride or conceit or superiority, Lord, and just our, our way and our manner toward our brothers and sisters in Christ. Cleanse us of unrighteousness, we pray, Father. Father, I do ask you to help us to, to restore gently, you know, our brothers and sisters who are, who are caught up in sin and grieved and struggling. Lord, help us to, to watch ourselves that we're not tempted, Lord. 
And Lord, help us to have a lifestyle, we pray, where we can carry one another's burdens and be like you, Jesus, and fulfill the law of Christ and to, and to be like you, Jesus, who, who took our burden and debt that we couldn't pay. Father, help us to have a lifestyle of testing our own actions where we can just, you know, have joy in our own walk where we're doing well and not, not to compare ourselves to, to other people, Lord. Father, I ask you to lead us and convict us that we would be giving into your kingdom where we're receiving instruction in the word of God, you know, from those men and women who are sowing into our lives on a, on a daily basis, Lord. And Father, I ask you to help us to not be deceived, Lord. Help us to not be self-deceived and to know that you're not mocked. That, you know, that we reap what we sow in this life, Lord. I thank you that we've been given mercy in Jesus Christ. And help us, Father, to, to sow to please the Spirit of God and forgive us where we've sown to please our sinful nature. And finally, Father, help us to not be weary in doing good, but to wait on you that we might be blessed, Lord, as we continue to use our time, talents, and money in the advancement of your kingdom. And Father, let us, as we have opportunity, to do good to everyone, but especially for the family of believers. <sighs> Father, we love you, we bless you, and we thank you today. Holy Spirit, we ask you to seal the message to our hearts now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen.